Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. Chris Colte is an audio engineer who's worked with The War on Drugs, Deer Hunter, Kurt Vile, Jack White, and a multitude of other artists out of his legendary recording studio, High Bias Recordings. But what happens for engineers when the world shuts down? Today we're going to hear how the past year has been for Chris and his studio, and he's also going to share his secret for getting your album to stand out and his own biggest fear. That's coming up on today's Music Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker, and I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a show where I dive deep into the psyche of musicians. We talk about music, the creative process, music careers, mental health, the music business, touring, recording, balancing life and music, and anything else me and my guests want to talk about. If you want to learn more about music therapy and see upcoming guests and events, please visit musictherapypodcast.com. You can also visit jessicarisker.com to learn more about me and my own music. And if you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps us reach more listeners. So today I'm talking with Chris Colte. Chris Colte is a Detroit-based musician and sound engineer. For the past 23 years, he's been running High Bias Recordings, one of Detroit's more well-known recording studios. He's worked with everyone from Deer Hunter to Shigeto and plenty in between, including No Age, Mets, The War on Drugs, Proto-Martyr, Kurt Vile, and more. He's also a regular contributor to Tape Op Magazine, which is an absolutely essential publication for any recording artist. If you haven't heard of it, I highly recommend you check it out. We're going to talk with Chris in just a moment, but first let's start off with some music. Here's my song, Summer Shanty, and Stop Performing, off the album, Big Forever. Thank you. 
Okay, that was Summer Shanty and Stop Performing off the album Big Forever. And now let's turn to my conversation with Chris. Oh, there you are. Hi. Hello. And you're you're sideways. I am. All right. Well, let's figure that out then. How are you? I'm good. How are you? doing okay except for the sideways thing which i don't really know that's better how are you doing doing okay it's super hot here and specifically our house is very hot too it's very warm you're at at home right now yeah yeah what is that so i start off with the same question i start these off the same question what does a typical week look like for you these days these days, <laughs> uh, most of the time, I, I spend most of my time trying to figure out what day it is, usually. Um, uh, typical week here, I, I do a lot of um, gardening and, and sort of like handyman kind of work around our house. Uh-huh. We just, uh, my wife and I moved and um, into a house. And so it's been it's been kind of intense doing a lot of that stuff. And the studio's been closed. We're getting ready to reopen at the the beginning of um, August, like August 9th. So uh-huh. preparing for that. But I I spend like a day over there mixing, and then I'll be back uh, home here doing things that we're both self-employed. So um, for a long time. There's been a long list of things that needed to get done that, you know, those things where you're like, oh, if I only have my shit together, I would do this or that or, you know, um, there's just it. I feel like we haven't really had very much time off since the pandemic. And I know that seems crazy, but we've been super busy moving, uh, you know, all of that. And um, so I'm kind of splitting my time between like stay at home dad with no kids kind of vibe. Uh Um, And, and then getting the studio ready to reopen. And I did take, uh, I took advantage of the, the time off to kind of fix a lot of problems that I saw with the studio, you Uh know, typically that kind of stuff takes days or weeks or, you know, it takes a long time to fix a studio. And uh, so having the downtime has helped that way. Um, We'll see if the industry in which I work exists uh, by the time I get the studio back open. But uh, it seems like uh, creepily, like everything's sort of going back to normal. I don't, 
see how that's possible that like we're all just going to start going to gigs and everything's going to be fine but i hope i hope that happens you know um, have you been to any shows recently i played a couple shows recently and i've been to see some outdoor shows i have not been to an indoor uh indoor gig i have a lot of things i want to ask you about but i am curious to know how this past year impacted you and impacted the studio you shut it down it sounds uh -huh. like when did yeah. you shut it down um, uh, I don't know. I well, I do know. I guess I recorded this band from here called Visions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know how to. It's like V V I S S I O. They have a lot of consonants in their uh -huh. name that don't belong. Um, but they're they're amazing. And that was um, March fourteenth, and it was like, oh, see you in a couple weeks. Uh. <laughs> And I just met with those guys like a couple of weeks ago and we kind of traded some files and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I shut it down then. Like in, when, when the governor said to, or whatever, not to get political about it. Um, and uh, I, I'd been on the road. I was out with this guy from here called Shigeto. Uh, uh -huh. He does a bunch of stuff, um, but he has a live jazz band with some other uh, people from here, uh, Marcus Elliott, Ian Finkelstein, um, Dez is in the band. Sometimes I play on the stuff. So it's like a collective jazz thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so we were out on the road like while this was all happening, like at the end of February and early March. And uh -huh. I flew back from LA and the guy next to me was like, man, I'm so glad we made this flight. They just cleared our cruise ship today. And I was like, you know, it was just, uh, it was really hectic. So by the time we got home and the shutdown happened, I was kind of like, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm a little, I don't like to get sick either way. You know, I have friends who are like, you know, they could get the flu hardcore the next day. They're, they're, uh, they're fine. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just took it seriously. And, um, yeah. And then it got, you know, crazy and out of hand. And, and, and I was like, well, um, I know, it's a weird thing. I feel like being an audio engineer is kind of like being, it's it, not kind of, it's be, it's like you're in the service industry. And, um, and the fact of the matter is that what I, what I do and, um, well, that, that job for me is, is about performing the service and I'm happy to do that. I don't have uh, a lot of weird ego or envy. I, I feel like kind of maybe not as austere or whatever is the Albini approach, but like, uh, you know, I felt like this was the one. So anyway, my, my life has, has been as an adult, my professional life has been making that happen. Whether I'm on the road with people or in the studio is, you know, like I've been performing this service for most of my adult life. Uh -huh. And it was weird to have this be where I drew the like, I was like, uh, I don't think I'm, you know, I mean, I've like, I've carried amps or why well, that's, that's not true. I've never carried any amps, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I've like, 
been on tour and been injured and had back problems and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've never really turned down a gig or anything. So this was kind of like where I was like, mm, you know, so how did, how was that for you to, for have to do something that was so different and unusual? I mean, I, I haven't had a day off, like any real significant time off in a long time. Um, and I think being self-employed and carrying mm -hmm. a lot of the financial, whatever it's, I don't make a lot of money making records and touring. I, I make okay money, but I spend tons of money because I like to buy synthesizers for people to use and things like that. And for me, and, um, so it, I kind of, felt like I was, I mean, I wouldn't have picked that break, but I, I, yeah. it took a while before I was like, I want to get back to work. I was kind of like, you know, because yeah. it, it felt weird though, for sure. I mean, it was like weird, like it was for everybody, but like, you know, like there's shit, like a global pandemic. It's like, I, I care about every band's record that I work on, but like, not that much, you know what I mean? It's like you're fucking, everybody's record can wait. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It was weird, though, because I've never really, I'm not saying I've never not done a gig, but I've kind of never not done a gig, you know? Like, uh, it was weird to draw that line. And then also, like, going forward after that to feel kind of like, oh, like, there's no insane deadline, stressful yeah. To me, it doesn't matter if a band has a record release party at the Logger House or if the record's coming out on Third Man or, you know, if it's Kurt Vile or like some band down the street that nobody knows about. I, it's still, to me, stressful to have like five plates in the air all the time. And that's just yeah. part, part of the job. Um, do you generally, when you're working, do you take Sundays off or you work every day? Uh, <laughs> recently, yeah, I, well, I mean, not even recent, like pre-pandemic recently, like 2018, 2019, mm -hmm. even 2017, I kind of started trying to, um, take weekends off and, mm -hmm. and sort of start a little earlier in the day and maybe finish a little earlier. Uh -huh. Um, you know, I'm, I'm married and my wife and I lived in, uh, we lived in the studio until recently and um, I don't know, I just started to feel like I wanted to do, have a life that wasn't some, somebody's, somebody else's like rock and roll fantasy, you know, um, uh -huh. or mine really. Like I, so I started working a little bit less, like trying to not work weekends and trying to like be done working by nine you know but then it's like i cook in our house um uh -huh. for the most part so then it's like we're eating at 11 and you see yeah, i've tried to sort of step it back but it's a new thing like and that's only been the last couple of years really and uh and you know before the pandemic and before that it was like you know i'd be somewhere with some crazy band in australia like with the war on drugs or somebody like that and i would land and then you know that's like a gnarly day of travel and then the next day i'd be recording guitars for somebody some metal band from downriver or whatever and uh 
I, ne- I just didn't stop. I would take like maybe there'd be 25 or 50 days out of the year that I didn't bill, you know? Yeah. Um, was that drive to work so much and so hard, you know, just out of demand? Was it out of a fear that if I don't do this, you know, I just need to keep making money? Or what, what, what drives you or drove you to have that pace? Mm, I don't know. I guess I, I, I like to feel useful. Uh-huh. And I, I care about music, like I genuinely care about music and I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a dentist or something. Like if you know how to fix somebody's cavity in their two thirds, you would be like a shitty person to not do that, uh, kind of. And um, But yeah, also running a studio, it's like it's no different than people that have coffee shops or whatever. You're not like, you got to sell a lot of coffee to make, you know, to be, to make that, to make like crazy money. Um, And I, my rate, my day rate hasn't changed since 2013 or something. And Uh so it's like a combination of like, I was just raised in this business by some guys in in Cincinnati that their thing was like, if, if there's recording or sound or whatever, there's a gig. Shit, I lost my (laughs) Sorry. Uh Um, (laughs) <laughs> but uh but yeah I think it's a combination of you know like there is a certain amount of like music if that's your thing it you know yeah. it, it's like a valiant thing I think you know and um and also like the whole self-employed strike while the iron is hot like the music mm-hmm. business is constantly dying you know that that kind of shit it's not like I just don't turn down work. I don't really care who the band is. And like, there'll be people that come by the studio and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care if it's some ska band from Milford or I, I really don't like if people want to make a record. I'm down to do it. You know, that's awesome. Okay. So you were, uh, kind of grateful to be forced into a break. And it almost sounds like that was the only way you were going to get a break. What about, but were you nervous about the business aspect and the forced break on that level? Um, I mean, honestly, to be honest, I feel like I was more relieved. Like, uh-huh. because I'd been, and I, I was surprised by that. And I mean, I was certainly not relieved to be in the middle of a pandemic or to see all that yeah. crazy stuff or what was going on in our country or any of that stuff. But like, I feel like, uh, I just being self-employed and running a studio and doing all that stuff, you know, it's just me and, and my wife and she has a full-time job. So in mm-hmm. uh, any, any audio engineer will tell you that you, I don't know, it's not necessarily, it's kind of a, it's not maybe necessarily a family affair, but, but I mean, my, my lady helps out all the time and um and she's amazing and super patient and all that stuff but i was kind of like i don't know i kind of kind of started talking about julie and got distracted this happens to me often ask ask me that question again maybe i'll answer it a little bit were you nervous about your money were you nervous about i was worried about money and um but it was it was strange to feel that sense of kind of relief. But, but it, just because, like, I constantly live with this, you know, 
the building where the studio is in is at this point worth more money than I can justify having like, uh, clearly I have a career, you know, for better or for worse doing this for a living and I've been doing it for a while and it's like people still want to do it and that's cool. And I'm really, really grateful to do that. But the, and, and again, like I, I just, the place where the studio is like, I could lease it out and make probably more money doing that than, than I do making, uh, making records. And so I guess I didn't realize how much stress I carried, you know, in regards to that. Like, Oh, what if I'm just like riding out this rock and roll fantasy? Like I'm going to do one more record and then the economy tanks and, now this building isn't worth anything. And I'm like, I just been in here, you know, yeah, like listening to black Sabbath for 30 years or whatever. And, you know, like that's kind of <laughs> what it felt like. And so when all, like, I was like, Oh, everything's just going to fall apart anyway. And it's not my fault. You know, like I kind of felt like relieved, I guess, in that way. Um, but, but yeah. And then immediately was terrified about, the money and um you know we got my my wife got some ppe money for her thing i got uh-huh. unemployment and it was enough to get us through mm-hmm. and then you know um i was able to take out a couple loans and and we'll see how it all turns out you know uh but it's it was definitely I feel like compared to what a lot of people have gone through in this pandemic, I feel really lucky and, and yeah. like super grateful and, you know, um, yeah. To yeah, be honest. for sure. I mean, it sucked, but like, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. I still have the place, you know, for now. And, and it's really not that much different than it was like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not Albini or, or Dave Fridman or any of those guys, I, you know, I've, I've yet to, I just, for whatever reason, haven't done the new Tame Impala or whatever the new, new Tame Impala band is. I haven't, you know, I'm, I, I hope that happens, but you know, it's, it's just kind of a hand to mouth thing, you know, the studio. What is, what is your rock and roll fantasy? Uh, well, right now I just really, um, I've been growing a lot of food which I know doesn't seem very rock and roll. Um, Depends on I, what, you're, what you're growing. Yeah. Lots of hot peppers. Uh-huh. Um, and lots of... Uh, lots of tomatoes. Um, I've been gardening a lot. That's like my rock. My, my fantasy now would be if we could like kind of get... get somewhere... Julie and I, where we could grow enough food for us to live and maybe uh-huh. for a few other people and have a studio there, maybe uh-huh. like more of a destination thing where people can come like once a month and spend a week and we all do the thing or a month, however long. And But something a little bit more self-sufficient. Um, just that is the one thing that the pandemic shook some sense into me about stuff like that and especially being here in Detroit and you know there's been lots of lots of flooding and shit and like you're uh it just kind of made me feel like 
Maybe we should have an like live somewhere where we have an aquifer and grow a bunch of food and like stockpile. I'm not a prepper. I guess that's what I'm talking about is prepping basically. But, <laughs> but I don't feel like a prepper, you know. Do you have a sort of bunker in the studio? Uh-uh. Okay. I mean, the studio is a bunker. Okay. It's just like a concrete cinder block box, you know, surrounded by like a pizza place and a salon. Um, safe place to be. And, but it felt, it felt weird. I mean, the neighborhood that it's in is kind of like, it's like a place where lots of people from the suburbs come and hang. And they're like, oh, I'm downtown. It's like one of those kind of neighborhoods. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, are you in Chicago? Is that where you are? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of like Wicker Park in the 90s, basically, where I live, you know? Like the high-fidelity version of Wicker Park? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe not that cool. There is a rec- there, there was a record store, but it's like a lot of people from the suburbs come down and party and go to Tigers games, and there's, you know, the idiots peddling the bar, listening to terrible music, that... Just that kind of thing. Is there any bleed? Any what? Any bleed? Any uh, No, no. I mean, we... I, most of the time I'm doing stuff that would have bleed on it is like at night usually anyway. Okay. But, and like nine out of ten times that shit is cool. You know. Yeah, atmosphere. I, I know this is going to feel like too short of an interview for all the things that I want to ask you, but I'm interested in... You earlier referred to yourself as, you know, you're in service of people. What, and I, I feel like engineers can play different roles for a band, you know, when they're coming into a studio and sometimes they may want opinions, sometimes they may not. How do you, how do you figure out, do you already kind of know what your role is? Do you, have you predetermined that for yourself or do you work to figure out what the band's hoping for from you? Mm, as far as I mean- like... It kind of depends on if I know if I know them or not, you know. Yeah. Like, um, like the dirt bombs. I know what that's going to be like, you know. So, what role do you play there? Uh, I, I, you know, make a lot of snacks and wait for Mick to write songs like everybody else, and then <laughs> make make sure that you're ready when he says go. You know. Okay. That's basically how you make a dirt bombs album. Is you know, because it'll be you'll be like, man, we're never gonna do this, and then he's just like, wham, and it's if if you're not rolling, no dirt bombs. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, there's uh, in other bands from here that I just know how it's like Dark Rad. There are some good friends of mine. They're from here. Like I've known those guys for twenty some years. You know, like I. We don't have to talk about that. But if if they're just people that are like, hey, you did this record. I like it. Uh, I want to come in. We have 10 songs. Like, I always get together with people and have a meeting and sort of talk about, like, how heavily they want me to get into their music and, and how... You know, I, whatever. There's a certain amount. I mean, Albini can say what he wants and other guys like that, but... And and maybe he he actually probably can, but like I I feel like there's a certain amount of just a little bit of production. It, even if you're just engineering a record, somebody's got to be there to tell the drummer that 
he's like losing six beats a minute in the chorus yeah. can't really nail the 16th note hi-hat thing or whatever somebody has to be like bro just lock it in with the eighth notes and we'll put a tambourine on it just let it go you know okay. <laughs> uh, i'm just using that as an example or you know some somebody's got to do damage control usually you know um and so there's some of that but i i try to get that stuff uh hammered out in great detail ahead of time and um but most most of what i do you know especially with bands from around here uh it's it, like in the middle somewhere you know like i'm doing some production i'm like yo we should put hammond on this or you know uh uh-huh. i'm picking out the pedals and getting tones for everybody and doing all that stuff uh-huh. but i'm not like Hey, maybe go to G major on the bridge. Like, I'm not really one of those, like, yeah, you know, Nashville producer kind of type dudes where I'm gonna, you know, You're, really. So you may have thoughts on the sound and how to arrive on a sound, or but not, you know, to me that's sound versus songwriting. I mean, I might if it's if somebody asks me, I'm down to do that, and I'm down to push songs in different directions. But I'm not like a sit down with the main person in an acoustic guitar and try to rewrite their tunes. Like I just yeah. don't gravitate towards that. I'd rather, um, I don't know. I just kind of came up with a lot of older dudes yelling at me and telling me to shut the fuck up in the studio and to get coffee and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And um, so I, I, and I also like, I, I work with a lot of incredibly talented, very gifted I'm super lucky, you know, I work with a lot of people that like, my job is to stay out of their way, you know, like with, with Zach and Ian and Marcus and, and, and those Des and those guys, um, you know, it's, it's just about having the shit ready when they're ready to go, you know, when it's like, okay. you know, one thirty in the afternoon and it's like the second blunt's gone around and everybody's had their coffee you know, make sure that I'm not blowing it, basically, and that I've got good mics and good sounds, and then, you know, like, you can't, you kind of can't mess up a good band or a good song, I don't think, you know. Yeah, although I am, you know, always amazed at how much even a small mixing tweak can change the feel of the song or the feel of the sound, and I guess I'm wondering, I guess I'm wondering, do you feel like you have a... What do you feel? Do you feel like you have a sound that follows maybe some of the albums you've worked on, or are you really letting the bands take the lead on the sound? How much, if that question makes sense, how much input are you having? How much influence are you having on the sound of an album? I feel like I have almost, I mean, mostly like 98% or something. Uh, There's people that, that have a lot of ideas about sound, but typically the, I, I feel like that it's a couple different sides of the brain, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and typically I, I feel like the people that are kind of good at thinking about both, maybe they would benefit even from having somebody uh, handle one or the other for them, you know? Um, but I, I feel like most of the time with the folks that I work with, nobody's, they might be like, whoa, that guitar is way too distorted or something. And, but that's, 
most of what I'm doing, I'm sculpting that kind of stuff. And, and I hear you on the mix thing too, you know, it's like, um, one little thing can really change it and open something up, but you can't mix a good, you know, like you can't make a, a, a shitty song into dock of the bay or something with like right. a little reverb on the snare or in, I'm involved that happens sometimes where I have to I'm like we should just re-record it you know yeah if you're like this is the fifth mix you keep having me do all this weird shit you had me mix it like Echo and the Bunny Man even though your band sounds like Guns N' Roses or whatever you uh -huh. know like that's another thing is a lot of times I'll have bands come in and they're like I want it I want it to sound like uh, Piper at the Gates of Dawn or something and I'm yeah. like do you really because there's like <laughs> a mic or two on the drums you know what I mean so like you hit your cymbal too hard there's not really I, I, I always want to do that when I want to do that I, maybe that'll be my new post-pandemic business is that I'll give bands what they ask for when they come and they're like you know like or whatever. Like, I want to sound like Echo and the Bunny Man, and I'm like, but your band doesn't sound like that. Yeah. So you want me to like mix your record like super coked out and bright with like a <laughs> lot of chorus on everything? Because I can do that, but you're still gonna sound like your band, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, that, I mean, I think that's good. It sounds like you're letting them know your your thoughts. Do they find that helpful? Do, do people fight with you when you say stuff like that? Uh. No, I assume you I mean, say it, you know, I don't, I assume you don't say it exactly like that, but. No, I mean, I try to be diplomatic and, um, and I, you know, the, the bottom line is like recording and, you know, it's like, uh, maybe I don't even know if anybody's but this old, but like when you come home and you hear your voice on an answering machine, it's like, ugh. like I'll never, I don't like to watch video of myself. I don't like to hear my voice talking. You know, I, most people don't like that. You know, only really crazy, super ego, egoed out people are like, oh, look at me, I'm beautiful. You know, uh -huh. uh, you know, and I feel like that's, it's just nerve wracking enough. Like nobody needs to have like be told anything other than like, I just try to focus on the positive. If somebody comes in and they're like, yeah, I want it to sound like Echo and the Bunnymen and their band sounds like the Stones, I'll say, you know, I don't think your band really sounds like Echo and the Bunnymen, you know? Yeah. And But it, what do you want? Like, I'll try to figure it out and have them tell me what they actually want and, and so I can give that to them. Uh, it's also, like, really hard to be objective about your own art, I feel like. You know, there's a few people... Some of the great ones, I feel like, are that way. Like Brian Case is a great example. Uh -huh. He kind of defies everything I've just said, really. He's like a perfect human being and an amazing musician. Uh -huh. And he could probably record your band super good, too. I don't know that, but, you know. He's like, oh, I just got into modular. I'm killing that, too. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, um... Like, there, but really, there's only a few of those types of folks around, you know. Most most people need a hand, I feel like, you know. And it, to me, it's about trying to decode what they're saying into what they actually want and then giving them that to them. And a lot of times, I feel like the scope of a record is too big for just 
for somebody to just be able to look at. It takes a while, a couple records sometimes to be able to zoom in and zoom out on details and like then also think about the sequence of the thing or yeah. do I really want to use the same fuzz pedal for the entire record because it's going to maybe get old, you know, that kind of stuff. And I feel like most most people aren't that objective and and to me it's about trying to find that place where I can help people you know get out ahead of it a little bit and just bat some of those things down you know to be more like oh hey maybe we should try a different guitar on this song or let's change the snare drum since this tune is slower or you know let's maybe go for this kind of vibe just to kind of change stuff up so you don't have the same thing happening for the entire record, you know? Um, and yeah. like things that are fatiguing or potentially fatiguing, I'm trying to move those around a little bit and, you know, stuff like that. You know, you were saying that it may take, you know, an artist a couple albums to really be able to grasp the bigger picture and, the arc of an album and how it's going to play out. I mean, how, how about for yourself, you know, do you feel like that was, that's something that was more difficult for you starting out or now do you feel like you have a pretty good sense of that? Uh, yeah, I feel like now I, I do. Um, and it also, it depends on, on the record. There's, there's some people I work with like, like Lockett from, uh, Deer Hunter, like, uh -huh. we don't really even talk sometimes about stuff, you know? He's like, oh, I'm going to use the Gemini. Cool, we plug it in, and then I'm, like, walking downstairs, and he's like, it's too bassy, and I'm like, yeah, I, I know, I'm going to move the mic. You know, like, we don't yeah. really need to, to communicate like that. And uh, and then there's other... So some some... Sometimes I don't even do any of that stuff. I'm just like in the zone, in the moment, reacting to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's kind of about what it ends, like what at the end, what it's going to be. And also with Lockett, he's more than likely has the sequence done before he shows up. And uh -huh. he has everything plotted out and organized. And I mean, I've been doing this now for it's 1995, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. however long that is, a long time. And uh, so I, I feel like a lot of it is second nature, but uh, that kind of thing, you know, like maybe I'm not thinking like, oh, I got to try to get this bass player to play less notes or the whole record's going to be a mess. Like I'm maybe not consciously thinking that. Yeah. You know, but I'm like trying to get the band to do another take and maybe asking everybody to play a little bit less and maybe slowing the tempo down five beats a minute, you know, because uh -huh. everybody sounds a little nervous and um, there's a lot of that stuff. But, but I feel like at this point, you know, if somebody brings songs to me, I can kind of see the arc of the whole thing. And pretty quickly I start having ideas that, you know, are, like common ones and some that aren't, but but mostly what I'm trying to do now, like, and I guess what I mean is like in the last five years of recording, I kind of feel like the studio and me would probably turned a corner somewhere in like 2014 or something, just for uh -huh. doing so many gigs and making a bunch of records like where things 
kind of seemed to, I was like, oh, wow, I don't hate how this sounds. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of what I do is very fast. And then I'm like, oh, man, you know, I wish I had another day to mix that or whatever. And yeah. where I started to be like, oh, this is actually a good studio. And I'm like actually a decent engineer. And, and that, that, you know, that took, <laughs> I don't know, 17 years or something to get to that wow. point. Yeah. Like, or, I mean, I don't know. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but like, but I feel like I, um, you know, once that kind of, once I noticed that happening, um, I started thinking about records differently and thinking about um, how to make sounds that aren't totally, I guess really, I think like sample packs and all that stuff, that's all mm -hmm. great and everything, but like um, it, everybody gets all bummed out about that stuff and sound replacing. And I, if that's how you want to make music, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But, but my reaction to that has been that like, I'm trying to go in the other direction um, mm -hmm. just because I'm trying to draw listeners uh, to the material. In other words, like if you've heard the first cars album, you've probably heard most every, I mean, somebody's going to light me up for this in the comments, but if, uh, if I feel like uh, you've heard most popular synthesizers, you know, you've heard a Juno, you've heard uh, maybe a Juno, you've, but you've heard, you know, a Moog and all that stuff. Like all that stuff is woven into the fabric of our subconscious, whether you're a music fan or not. Like if you've heard Lucky Man on the radio, you've heard a, a Moog or whatever. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so for the last five years, since the, I felt like things kind of, I started to worry less about the sonics and like, am I going to be able to make this sound good? I started worrying more about how can I make this product stand out? And, and there's just simply everybody is making music now and there's just a sea of it. And it's super easy to get lost. And the one way that I felt like was a pretty safe bet is to do something you know, if everybody's using a Strat through a Marshall, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to pick out something that's a little different, use a little bit of a different, we have a lot of trainer amps at the studio, you know, uh, for that reason, because they kind of don't sound so much like anything else. Or uh -huh. So I've, I've, for the last, like, I guess maybe eight to 10 years now, my main concern has been trying to, to sculpt that part of the record. You know, um, and trying to evoke that kind of response you would have, like, um, like if you're in a record store, that feeling we've all had where you're like, oh, and you just need to pick up the new Radiohead or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is killing it. Well, the reason why, you know, like I, I, a good example of that would be that Blur song, song number two, you know, like everybody was like, what is this? And it's not even really a song necessarily. Like they, <laughs> they talk about making that and they're like, they were just totally fucking around <laughs> like laughing yeah. about how bad it was and how shitty it sounded. Yeah. We're trying to make the weirdest sounds. And that song like was so huge for them because nobody, you know, made any, like those sounds were, you know, I guess relatively new at, in terms of the radio and so i guess in other words if somebody's like oh i want to pass like just use this this 
uh, like a Juno for a pad. I'll like try to use a profit or something or use the Moog One and do something a little different. So it's not something that everybody knows. Or if they want to put down a lead line rather than just pulling out a regular Moog, I'll pat something in the modular. Um, and, you know, I especially with the modular stuff, um, mm -hmm. anytime I use that, you know, if somebody's like, oh, I want space wind for the breakdown or whatever, which it actually that does happen. Um, you know, and I patch it and I do that stuff or we use it for a, a melody so many people ask me when I when I play that, oh, yeah, check out this mix I just did. They're like, what is that? You know, people can be in the room. We're having a conversation. They're like, yo, what's that? You know, um, and I think that that's, that's the way to get people to like your band, you know, and that's the way to get uh, your stuff to stand out is to not just stick with what everybody else is doing maybe to try to like do, do something that isn't so woven into the uh, fabric of our subconscious, like do something that stands out a little bit. And I think that it's like an old impulse. Like it's the same thing that if you're out in the woods with the four other people that live in your cave or whatever, and you hear a foot step on some twigs and you're like, Oh, that, broke like 14 twigs and like human feet only break four <laughs> like that's a bear you know like that kind of shit like our ears yeah. trained to do that for survival for way longer than than people have been compressing drum sets and recording you know room mics and all the other stuff and i feel like if you can like if you can get back here you can get back in the you know do some stuff that pulls from back here like People pay attention, you know? And my mom would be like, oh, that's cool. And like, and then I'd be playing her some folk song I worked on, and then there's a synth line, and she would be like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's the modular thing, and she, which she kind of hated because <laughs> she knew I spent all my money buying modules, you know? But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. That That's what I've been focused on. That's a super long answer to that question. No, it was great. That was that's, great. I've been focusing on trying to, I don't know. I feel like you put out a record, people don't typically lose fans. Like if somebody likes your band, most of the bands I work for, they have an audience if they're able to afford coming to me. And, you know, people already, people that come to your shows, they already, they already paid money. You know, people that bought your record, they already are invested and they already like your band. I'm, I'm trying to like do stuff that will pull other listeners, you know, uh -huh. if you do enough of that in a record, you can get somebody who's like, man, I don't, you know, you guys uh, are kind of like a jam band or whatever, which, and I hate jam bands, but I really <laughs> love your record and, you know, or like, or yeah, it's like, Sonic Youth, bands like that do a lot of that kind of thing where you're like, I don't really like this kind of music, but I really like that. Like, I feel like if you earn, if you earn somebody's attention in that way, it kind of sticks around a lot longer, I think, than, than just, you know, being like, oh, I love peanut butter and jelly, you know, like, oh, I love the thing yeah. I've had a million times, you know, and then somebody's yeah. like, wrinkle a little chili powder on the peanut butter you're like fuck you know like what happened the first time somebody put 
you know, crushed red pepper in a chocolate bar, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was great. I That was really interesting. What would you tell yourself just starting out now? When you're starting out, what advice would you give your freshman self? Oh, wow. That's a really good question, actually. Uh, finished college? No, uh, I, I would never say that. Um, I don't know. Maybe s slow down and listen a, a little bit more, you know? Um, listen to? Like the, the music, you know? I, I was really, really focused on just engineering as quickly as I could in the early yeah. days, you know? And I didn't take any, it took a couple of years before I started to feel guilty if I let somebody, somebody's like, how was that take? And I'm like, oh, oh, not good, you know? But I'm like, we have four more songs, it's 1030. Yeah. You know? And then I gotta mix all these, you know? And like, uh, I feel like I, I mean, there were so many, so many times I would go in at noon when I worked at Ultra Suede in Cincinnati in the, in, on like a Sunday to work. And it would be 9 a.m. Monday morning and the guys would be coming in to do mastering and I'd be like coiling up cables, you know? Yeah. And I just, I, that's cool. A lot of that music needed to happen and all that. But um, I just feel like there's a, uh, there's a lot to be said for patience in the studio and like just slowing like just taking a deep breath and seeing what is actually happening. Um, it's funny because there's people watching this probably that I've worked with and they're like, you're trying to slow down. Like I, I have a probably a reputation for like, that's why people are like, Oh, he makes coffee and you know, guacamole and stuff like that. Cause I, I try to make it like really laid back. Um, but I think in the early, the, a lot of the reason that I run the studio that way now is because working in a commercial studio back then was so hectic, you know? So maybe back then I would have, I would tell myself to just kind of chill out and listen a little more, you know? Okay. Do you, do you have any fears about your work? Yeah, so many. Such as? Um, I mean, mostly what I'm afraid of is doing something that's not, um, I'm afraid that at some point I'll be like, that's good enough, you know? Uh -huh. Like, I have a lot of friends who make, not a lot, I have some friends who make, make records and stuff just for the business part of it, you yeah. know? And um, I'm afraid of that. Um, I'm afraid that, I'm terrified of listening to stuff and being like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh my God, like that, that that's like a fear of mine. Um, and I guess really like the biggest fear that I have in terms of work is that something is going to happen that's like brilliant or mind blowing and I'm not going to get it. You know, that's my biggest fear is that like I'm going to be around something brilliant and, yeah. or like some band will be like, hey, we're just going to, which I'd never do this, obviously, but you know, they're like, oh, we're just going to hit it real quick. Don't record this. Like I'm always recording that shit, right. you yeah. know? Um, that's what I'm mostly afraid of is missing, uh, brilliance, you know, that the lightning happens and I'm nowhere nearby with the bottle, you know, I want to shout out my, my bandmate. Well, but he and I are both, and he's been a longer time fan of tape off 
he wanted me to mention tape op just you know your participation in that he's a huge fan of the magazine i want listeners to know about tape op if they don't know about tape op yeah uh, it's quite it's quite simply the um the best magazine that's ever been written in the history of mankind to be honest like if you like i feel like it's kind of like the the aa book of recording like if you just sent somebody all those tape ops yeah. They'd be able to figure out how to record <laughs> without any other people, you know. And those dudes are the be- those are the best humans that have that are alive today, those guys. They're the best people, you know. Is there anything that you want to, you know, promote or share, you know, before we close out today? I mean, not really, man. I'm stoked to be on your show. It was fun. <laughs> I was nervous, you know. I was you were nervous? I was nervous. Stuff. Yeah, you know. Um, but, I, I, you know, I don't really have that much to promote. If you want to record in Detroit, you know, DM me. That's High it. Bias, Highbiasrecordings.com. That's it, yeah. Or on here. Or on here. Thank you, you guys for for joining us, and, and thank you so much, Chris. I really, I honestly have more questions for you, so, um, you know. Prepare yourself. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow night. Yeah, for, for part two. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It was really great talking to you. Yeah, you too. Uh, nice talking to you. Have a good one. Thanks for asking. I'll come back anytime. I want to thank Chris Colte for his time today. I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Please subscribe, give us some reviews on iTunes, and share with your friends please visit musictherapypodcast.com for past episodes and upcoming events and guests. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Hope you guys are doing well, and see you next week.